0: We are picking up in verse 15, verse 15 Look carefully then how you walk, not as, wise, uh, as unwise but as wise. So, as we dig into the text this morning, we are, um, we are told to look carefully then or therefore which refers back to our previous section. I know a few of you are visiting here today and haven't been here for the last few weeks maybe. So I do need to give us a reminder of the context. The whole of the previous section has been about the sleeper. The sleeper being the person who is a Christian but who is not walking as a Christian. And there is uh, the responsibility on the church to expose the unfruitful works of darkness, uh, predominantly through our lives, through living in the light. There is the importance of us knowing that this is not acceptable, the church dealing with it. There is the importance of being angry, we saw in chapter um, 4. Yeah, be angry and do not sin. Uh, The command to be angry about those who would misrepresent, lie about the faith with their lifestyles and having dealt with the sleeper, having dealt with the believer who is living as an unbeliever he then says to us, us being those who are in the church who predominantly aren't living that way and he says look then carefully how you walk in other words we've just spent a whole section talking about how they are walking and how we respond to them But the reality is, is that for any one of us, that could be us. That could be us. Just the right set of circumstances. Us in our own trials. Us struggling. Us stumbling. Us, you know, hurt. Us, you know, just dealing with the intrinsic details of life in such a way that we are crushed. That could be us just walking away from the Lord finding solace with sin just as the Israelites found solace with other gods and with their idols and you know Peter is the one who reminds us that the devil roams around like a ravenous lion seeking whom he may devour and it is quite a realization to understand he is not roaming around to seek whom he may scratch or whom he might injure and put out of action for a month or so his desire is to devour to consume, to destroy, to leave no hope of recovery that's the nature of our enemy and so we need to be wise to that whenever the bible does talk about rebuke and correction it always seems to have this, um, this shift as well towards us being careful. Galatians 6 is a a classic example where it's, you know, rebuke those who are in sin but just remember, that could be you rebuke as you would need to be rebuked, as you would want to be rebuked because it could be us next and if we think that it won't be that immediately makes us vulnerable immediately so, look carefully then because of this potential problem, because there are people who, for whom this has become reality, you need to carefully watch your walk. Nobody, nobody suddenly falls into great sin one day out of nowhere. Boom! I was just walking down the street and the next thing you knew, ah, there I was and I was running away with somebody else. And leaving my spouse behind. I don't know where it came from, it came out of nowhere. It doesn't happen. Starts with little stuff, starts with our hearts, starts with harbouring bitterness and hatred and sin and tolerating pride and, and these kind of sins that can be smothered and covered and hidden away and these things take root and they grow and eventually the bigger and the more obvious and the more outward sins start to fruit up. So we've got to be careful and we've got to be careful how we walk. Again, he's been going on about this walk hasn't he? walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called chapter 4 verse 1 Uh, do not walk any longer as the gentiles do chapter 4 verse 17 walk in love as christ loved us chapter 5 verse 1 and here again the last call to walk therefore be careful how you walk not as unwise but as wise and so to have wisdom and he's been talking about wisdom already if we go way way back to chapter 1 and verse 17 we're told that the god of our lord jesus christ the father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him and all of paul's teaching about the indwelling holy spirit chapter 1 verse 17 comes right after the indwelling holy spirit and right the way through we've seen this routinely That the realm of the Holy Spirit and his transforming work is in the mind. It is understanding, it is learning, it is growing in knowledge, it is growing in wisdom. These terms, this this terminology is used to talk about how we change. Now, be very clear on this point, because I know that there are people here who haven't heard the whole series. And I want to do a Greatest Hits, but I want you to get the main points, okay? Paul, from the very beginning of this book, has said you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. There are entire wings of the church that get by by teaching you need to have a new blessing, you need to have a new touch, you need to have something you don't already have. It's nonsense. Everything that we need, God has already given us. Our growth practically doesn't come from getting something we don't yet have, Our growth practically comes from a growing in knowledge, understanding and wisdom of what God has already done and what he is going to do. It is knowing and understanding our future hope. It is knowing who we are in Christ. These are the things that as we grow in that understanding that change will naturally, instinctively happen. And so Paul prayed in that context that we will be given a spirit of wisdom. Which isn't saying to get a spirit you don't have. We have the Holy Spirit. It is a phrase that is an expression to mean to grow in wisdom. We are to grow in wisdom. And so, when he says to us here in chapter 5, you need to walk in a manner that is wise, he's talking about living in light of the renewing of our mind and the growing in understanding. When you learn something about the Christian walk you didn't know before, it then affects your walk. And we need to grow in that wisdom. And as that wisdom comes in, it will affect the way that we live. And in verse 16, in this context, he says, making the best use of time of the time because the days are evil so we want to walk in a way that's wise and we want to walk in a way that makes best use of our time now again we have problems in our minds sometimes because we have English Bibles with numbers separating verses out but let's, let's keep this first half of 16 kind of linked to verse 15 in our minds, okay? we need to walk wisely and not unwisely because the days are short. We need to make the best use of our time. We don't have a lot of time. You know, the youngest of you here have precious little time. You know, I remember being a young guy, I remember being a Christian going to youth groups and looking at leaders and thinking how old they were. They were my age. Or younger. And you know, I remember talking probably 10, maybe 15 years ago now to an old gentleman in England who ran a Christian bookstore in his home. And I remember saying to him, you know, how different is it? You know, because we're talking about aging and, and stuff, we're getting in a conversation. And he was saying, I'm just the same person, I'm no different. You just, your body stops working so well you know, it's just still me inside, we just get older and I look back at being 20, at being 30, at being a teenager and it's, sometimes it's like yesterday, it feels like yesterday time just goes and you know, some of us have got more time left than others none of us know how much time we have but none of us have much time none of us and the decisions that we make whether we live wisely or unwisely Those decisions have effects for all eternity. The things that we decide to do or not do will have an effect for all eternity in in multiple regards. Firstly, for us, we are saved by grace. Our sins are forgiven, we're not saved by works. But the Bible does teach us that we will be rewarded for our works. The good deeds I have done are tainted by my sin but the Bible says that those good deeds will be refined by the fire and can be presented to God and sometimes one of the things that keeps me going in really difficult times is to know that no matter how much I mess up no matter how badly I do in my efforts when I do something for the Lord there will be a reward for all eternity But, with the context of the previous section, when we don't live as we should and when we lie about the faith with our lives misrepresent the faith, that has consequences on other people. It has consequences on other people's faith. Paul elsewhere, when writing to the Corinthians, talks of sin as being like yeast in in bread that spreads through the whole loaf. And so there are consequences of our actions and our time is so short what are we going to do for God are we going to do stuff for God or are we going to live for ourselves these are the decisions we have to make and we have to make them every single day and he says you know you need to be wise you need to make the best use of the time available to you why because the days are evil now, we said this just the other week and I don't mind repeating this stuff, but here's the deal. America, in 2016, is not the worst of mankind. Sometimes you look at people's Facebook feeds and it's like, this, this is the end of the world right now, folks, you know. This is it. The, the, you know, this is terrible, there's so much... that You know what? It was never any different. Try being a godly Christian in the Roman Empire no one's throwing us to lions just yet you know there were there was tough times and the days are evil and I don't think Paul was referring to his immediate time I think he was referring to the time the last days the time from when Christ died on the cross for our sins until the time when he returns those days are evil and the enemy is here Roaming around, trying to destroy us, trying to take us out, trying to harm us, trying to destroy our faith, destroy our witness, destroy our marriages, destroy our families, because it gives him joy and pleasure. Because he hates God, he hates God's work, he hates God's people, and he sees what we have and he hates it. Do you remember back earlier in chapter 2 we spoke about how the coming together of Jew and Gentiles into this one body we call the church is a declaration, it is a statement to the powers and the authorities look here devil and demons look at what I've done with my people and he hates us and these days give us great opportunities to compromise to stumble, to fall be careful keep wise that little decision has bigger consequences than you know that compromise has greater effects than you know the evil is there sin is crouching at your door the opportunities are great take time to carefully walk wisely now there's your summary statement it's a goody, isn't it? he does these, doesn't he? in each of these sections he, d- he makes a statement of a general intent and then he deals with the specifics and that's what he does here so having said that we need to walk carefully in these evil days being, making the most of our time he says therefore, because this is the situation, because you need to walk wisely therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is so this is what it means to walk wisely okay? Don't be foolish. Well, that's the opposite of wisdom, so that's fairly obvious, yeah? Don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Now, can you see that? That's that contrast. So on the one hand, there is foolishness, and he's been dealing with that for the last chapter or so, so he can leave that for now. But wisdom is understanding the will of God. I need to count. I know that in the past I've counted through all the references in the book of Ephesians to being in Christ. In Christ, in Jesus, in Him, in Whom, and there's a lot of them, who we are in Christ. But I need to go through, I'm thinking now, and count the number of references to knowledge, wisdom, understanding, learning, It's just this continual emphasis that that is how God is going to change us we don't need anything else to happen we have never get bored of saying it we have the fullness of deity dwelling in us we have the Holy Spirit in us we have the presence of God The very presence of God that Moses was told, you cannot see my face or you will die. The presence of God, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. The presence of God in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle and the temple. That presence of God is in us. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is within us. How do we access that power? Just got to understand God better. It, it, it's for some people it's too simple, you know. People want to pray, come down, Holy Spirit, and do this and do that. He came down. He's here. He lives. What we need to do is we need to understand what God has done. Understand the power within us. Understand who we are in Christ. And here's the real humdinger: understand the hope that we have that God is going to complete our redemption give us new bodies take away our sin restore our fellowship with him so we can be with him face to face those things and understanding those things brings about change and so you want to walk wisely? you need to understand God's will you want to understand God's will? what are you going to do? well you can come on a Sunday I try and help you understand it it's kind of what I do here you can come out on a Sunday night you can, when you're away, catch up because we do the video and the audio so people can catch up you can read your Bible every day you can read books and you can progress in reading books I know Christians who've been Christians 30, 40 years and they still read the same fluff they read 30 or 40 years ago mature, develop read things that challenge you go beyond what you've done before make it your quest To understand truth because that's key to you walking wisely you need to understand what the will of the Lord is and he gives us some more clues and some more specifics here and he's really building to a crescendo a little bit here he says do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled by the Spirit now we'll deal with this in a couple of couple of sections here this is this is a heavy verse. <laughs> a heavy verse. First of all, note this. The previous verse says, Do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Right? So, don't do this, but do that. Here we've got the same structure. Okay? Don't get drunk on wine. In contrast to that, be filled. Okay? So don't be drunk, be filled. So in the same way that not being foolish, understanding God's will, is either or. In the same way, here it's as if being drunk is the opposite of being filled, and being filled is the opposite of being drunk. So, first of all, let us note that. The second thing to note is this, and I have to say this, particularly in a Baptist tradition, and uh, particularly in this country, I think, as well. But there is in this country, uh, in particular, and there is in certain church traditions, a demonizing of alcohol. And Um, It's not biblical. I'm not trying to praise alcohol. I'm not trying to suggest everybody goes out after the service for a drink or anything like that. And I do know that all of us have weaknesses. And for some people, the weaknesses are alcohol, is alcohol. And therefore, if that's your weakness, really do avoid it. But this demonizing of all alcohol is just not biblical. Jesus didn't turn water into grape juice. And if you've been taught that, you simply need to do a very basic word study of the Greek word used there for wine. He changed the water into wine at the end, and they said normally people give the worst wine at the end. Why? Because you've already had so much wine, you can't taste the difference. And he gave them a better wine when they'd already had a whole bunch of wine. And it's for a lot of people it's a struggle to get their heads around these concepts. And I don't want to make a soapbox on it and I certainly don't want to encourage anybody who has a history of alcohol abuse to drink. That is the last thing I want to do. But I do want to say this, if somebody who is your Christian brother or sister enjoys the occasional drink do not rebuke them or condemn them because the only one sitting there is you and your legalism. I think that's clear enough but drunkenness is a sin now i'm not even going to step on the gray area of when does drinking become merry become tipsy become drunk and how do you define drunk and what have you other than what the text does here which is that the contrast is being filled now we're going to talk more about this phrase for a while because it's a tricky phrase but Being filled is clearly, when we see what follows, involves godly living. And in contrast to that, because when we we talk about being filled, he then goes on to say, addressing one another, psalms, uh, hymns, spiritual songs, giving thanks, submitting to one another. There are godly actions that come from being filled, right? What comes from drunkenness? Nothing. That's why it's called debauchery. I don't care if you think you're some sort of, I don't know, artist or musician and I perform better when I'm, you know, nonsense. And even if it is, let go of it. The reality here is this, is that drunkenness wastes lives. Wastes lives, wastes money, harms people, lies about our faith, lies about what, who Christ is and there's, no, there's nothing to be valued in it. There's nothing to be celebrated about it. And so, you know, again, I know people will differ on the, the, the dividing line of what is drunkenness but I think when, when, somebody, when somebody is so controlled by the Holy Spirit that their lives start to look like the Holy Spirit That's what we're trying to attain here, right? So, I was w- running down the street the other night and a guy was coming towards me and then he wasn't and then he was and then he wasn't and it was clear that he had been drinking and he was, he was in that very brief passing he was already distinguished to buy drink right? don't ever drink to the extent that the drink is what defines you take in the spirit Live by the Spirit, we'll talk about that in a minute, but live by the Spirit, live in such a way that our lives look like Christ. That our lives represent the Spirit who is within us. So that when we have passing acquaintances with people, they turn away saying, that person was like, and hopefully it will be kindness and stuff like that, but sometimes it needs to be rebuke because sometimes when God interacts with people that's what he does as well but we need to certainly represent God in the right way we need to look like Christ and that's what the passage is talking about so you know here in this church and I think this is kind of the drunkenness is, his, is, is partly his last link to the previous section where he's talking about not living in a way that is inappropriate and partly it is because it acts as a good parallel to what it means to be filled by the Spirit. So let's talk about that. I didn't take the time to go through, and I wish I had a done really, but go through pretty much every modern Bible version and see how they translate this. But I know for a fact that the majority of you here today are going to have in your Bibles in front of you the words filled with the Spirit. My Bible did have that, and I crossed out the word with, and I wrote the word by. And that's not because I think I know better than God, it's simply that it mis- the word with misrepresents the text. Now, with Bible translation, sometimes there are passages that are so familiar, it becomes very hard for modern translators to change things that have become very traditional. Okay? Now, I do not want to bore you here or shoot too far over people's heads but I need to explain it because it's a big deal but in in the Greek language there are different cases and if you wanted to communicate something being filled and the content of what it is being filled with a jug no let's do let's not do a jug because I'll come to the jug later a cup a glass filled with water. In English, the word with, although it can mean different things, tends to give the impression that the glass has a content of water, right? In the Greek, the case you would use to communicate that is a genitive case. If you've never heard of a genitive case, it doesn't matter. There is a way in Greek of communicating that, right? Here it is the dative case. It is not the genitive case. It's a different case. It is not how you communicate content. Most likely, what is being communicated here is means, means how it is filled. Okay. So if we we are a cup. Okay, we are a cup, and there is a content within us that would be genitive. That would be with. What this text is saying is we're filled by means of the Spirit. We're filled by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one filling us. So you're saying then that the Spirit is the one pouring the water in. No, I'm not. I'm saying the Spirit is the jug. The means is used almost impersonally, not of the one doing it, but the way in which it is done. Now that leaves us with two very big questions. If we are being filled by means of the Spirit, right, with the glass. One, who is filling us? And two, what are we being filled with? Well, we've already been told. Let's go back. In chapter 3, that wonderful prayer that ended the first section that was so crucial. He says in verse 18, that you may have the strength to comprehend, that's another word, comprehending, learning, understanding, with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, there's that knowledge again, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, what he's saying is, you don't need to get something you don't already have, You have that, but you need to have comprehension. You need to have understanding that you might be filled with all that God has for you. So you have a Christian, right, just been saved, maybe a week. He or she has the same Holy Spirit as I do, as you do, in the same measure. There's no difference or distinction, but the way that they live may be very different at that point. They need to change, they need to grow still, they need to be mature in their faith. How does that happen? That happens by means of the Holy Spirit filling them with all that God has for them. Living their life as they should do. Receiving blessings, ministering to other people, all the things we've been looking at in Ephesians. The fullness of God is just shorthand for everything that God would practically have for us and in chapter 4 and verse 10 he who ascended is the one who uh, sorry, he who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Who is it who's doing the filling? that would be Jesus Christ okay so just to recap if you fell asleep now it's time to wake up I'm simplifying okay traditionally We have a model in the church, taught by this passage, which is wrong. We have a model which is, you are the glass, the Holy Spirit is the water, and sometimes there's a hole in the bottom of the glass, and it drip, drip, drips out, and you need to be refilled. The whole book of Ephesians is teaching the exact opposite of that you were given the holy spirit it is the seal that you are god's and he will one day complete his work in you it is not a measure of the spirit he is a person who you were given in his entirety you do not leak him he is not a liquid that could leak he is not a measure that, that, that you get a little bit a little bit more he is the holy spirit and he indwells all of us who believe that is false what this passage is teaching is that you are the glass the water is all the blessings of God all the work he wants to do with you, all the changes he wants in your life the Spirit of God is the jug by which those changes happen because it is you having the Spirit in you that makes that possible and Christ is the one who gives you his Spirit that that might occur that's what's going on oh I feel better for that So that is what it means to be filled by the Spirit. That's why in my Bible I always cross out the word with and put by. It's a traditional translation, I've heard people argue how the word with in English can still convey that truth, but frankly there's so much misunderstanding it's not helpful at this point. So we are filled by the Spirit and that is the opposite of getting drunk with wine. When wine comes into you, and by the way, I've heard people try and argue, well, can we get drunk on vodka then? No, not that either. When alcohol comes into you, right, that alcohol can affect how you are on the outside. The Spirit is in us, and being filled by the Spirit We need to have, through this understanding and comprehending, the Spirit of God is going to transform us and fill us up with all of God's blessings and all the fullness of God so that on the outside, the indwelling Holy Spirit becomes visible. You see, when we don't have sin, it looks like Jesus. Jesus, in his ministry, uh, this baptism of Christ is quite significant. We're going to get there with Mark fairly soon. But the baptism of Christ, he he is baptised and the Spirit descends upon him. And so, for Christ, the Spirit is seen because there's no sin confusing the matter. And that's why the character of Christ is seen so clearly. But with us, we have our old nature always messing things up. We have the evil in the world that affects us and appeals to our sin nature. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna walk wisely, understand the will of God and the Spirit of God within us will take that understanding and will bring about change and fill us with the fullness of God. Isn't that good news? And what does it look like? Well that's our next phrase. What does it look like? Be filled by the Spirit. He tells us five things that come from being filled by the the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always for everything. And submitting to one another. Okay, so addressing or speaking. Singing, making melody giving thanks and submitting these are the things that come as a result of our spiritual maturing firstly speaking uh, or speaking to or addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs I think at that point there is a lot of confusion here and a lot of disagreement over quite how to interpret this Um, I personally would say this that the emphasis in the first part is speaking, as opposed to singing, okay? but I think the emphasis on the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is talking about almost a melody in the way that we speak the singing is coming next, so it's not quite singing so it's speaking to one another in a way that is palatable this is my best understanding of the text When we take a song, we take words and we put them to music, then that conveys, and we spoke just the other week about how, um, you know, you know it's hard to remember you know what you did yesterday but you can sing a song three verses in its entirety by memory because music helps kind of retain things and so it's addressing one another in such a way and maybe I'm reading in too much when I say you know our words should be like a melody but at the very least it is communicating to one another spiritual content uh, that is somehow melodious and so Let's, let's be a song in each other's lives. Let's, let's draw one another to the Lord. Let's, let's speak and sing those, th- those things. At, at this point though, I know some people go really overboard in saying, this is a psalm, this is a hymn, and this is a spiritual song. And like I said the other week, there's just not enough usage of these Greek terms for anyone to make those kind of distinctions. I think Paul is just, he's talking generally. But it does say something to us. It does say something to us. It says this, whatever we use to sing, there should be things that are addressable. And I spoke about this last time, um, I think in the evening actually last week, Um, and and I'll just say it again. You know, if the visa ever does come through, and I am pastor, one of the main things here I want to do is make sure that every single song we sing we check every line and every piece of theology. Because you're going to sing stuff and it'll be in your head and you're going to repeat it and repeat it and you'll know it and And it's got to be right. It's got to be right. And particularly when we're talking about Psalms and we've mentioned this so many times, you know, the classic example. David when he's confronted in his sin, he says, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. It was a very real danger. His mentor, Saul, he'd had the Holy Spirit taken from him because they were under the old covenant and that happened occasionally under the old covenant but in the new covenant the Spirit is our seal and he's never removed the Spirit of God is given to us and he guarantees that God's work will be completed in us we're not under the old covenant but Keith Green still found it was appropriate to make a song that says take not your Holy Spirit from me His theology was not good enough to know that that was a problem. And so we need to be careful, even with Psalms, that we're singing songs that are appropriate to us as New Covenant believers. And it's very important that the words, whether they be Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, are are biblically accurate. But also we're going to be singing and making melody. Now, let's be clear, not every one of us is musical sometimes the best thing that you can do to serve your fellow Christian is to maybe not sing so loudly if that's not your gifting you know I mean the reality is we're not all blessed with wonderful voices but there's a song in our heart. there is something within us that makes us want to sing look just go to the music in the in the charts historically popular music for decade after decade after decade most songs are about love oh she's just so wonderful i want to tell the whole world you know well is jesus not wonderful if if that is an instinctive thing for a human being to do in love Is that not something that we would instinctively do, when Christ consumes us? And of course, the other half of the songs tend to be about she's evil and she broke my heart. And the Psalms are full of lament. God, you are good, you are righteous and you're just, but these people are prospering and they're harming. Come and intervene for your name's sake. It's kind of the nearest biblical equivalent to a breakup song. Except there's no breaking up. With a possible exception of Psalm 88, but we'll leave that for another day. Um, So there is a natural response for us to sing and to give melody. And notice it is to the Lord. One of the things that has devastated the church spiritually is the. Choose my words carefully. The excelling of performance musically. I'm not saying that performing, uh, that music in the church shouldn't be good. I'm, I'm saying that when we come to church and we don't like a song, as long as that song is biblical and accurate, our delivery is to the Lord. And I hope that eventually, you know, we got we gotta you should see you should see yourselves from where I'm standing, you know. You're a mixed bunch of people. I mean you really are. I just love this church because I mean all ages and races and backgrounds and it's just everybody's different here. You know? And there should always be songs that quite frankly you don't like. Because if they you like them all, then somebody else is gonna hate them all, right? So, we've got to get our heads around the concept that worship is for God. It's our heart, it's our heart response. It's about us singing with our hearts to Him. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about us just wanting to praise God. And making melody to the Lord with your heart. And the third realm, the third result of us maturing in our faith and us becoming full with all the fullness of God, is giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So, we're going to be thankful people, no matter how hard our lives are, there are always things to be thankful for. And it's a challenge, it's often a huge challenge for us to always be thankful. I don't think that means we necessarily need to be thankful for for everything that we're going through but we certainly need to be thankful even in the midst of that, at that time. And again, when we look at what Paul has given us as a theological foundation in Ephesians that's a lot of good stuff to be thankful for. Being chosen before the foundation of the world, being redeemed by the blood of Christ, being given the Holy Spirit. These are things that we can rejoice in and be thankful for and a lack of thankfulness is like a cancer and I find myself, I will confess succumbing to this routinely and I have to just keep coming back and coming back and and re- re, repenting and, and re-thinking and just saying no God there are things to be thankful for here I need to always be thankful in every situation, all the time I need to be thankful and I think I think the, um, the for everything, yes and no. I, I'm, I'm conscious that there is within certain circles in churches today, people who, who say, oh, you know, I've got this terrible terminal disease. Praise the Lord, he obviously knows what he's doing, you know. And I just, I, that's not what this verse is talking about. You know, the Bible is is chock-a-block full of laments and suffering and people crying out to God and take this away from me and help me in this situation, all of that. And I think when it says for everything, what it means is what we see in the Psalms. Where they say, you know, they don't just say, hey God, thank you for this persecutor. He says, get rid of this persecutor and break his teeth in some cases. But it says, but in the midst of it I will give thanks for you. Because I know I can trust you and I know that you're good. And I think that the for everything maybe gives a slightly wrong impression here. And it's hard to express. But what we're talking about is saying, look, here's my circumstances. Maybe right now my life is exceedingly difficult and very and it sucks quite badly. And I thank you for being my God, for controlling my life, and for looking after me in the midst of this and I think that's more the gist of what's being communicated here rather than saying, oh you've just, you've just you know, this terrible thing has just happened to me let me just praise you for that terrible thing you know, even Job at the end of chapter 1 when he praised God he didn't praise God for the death of his children he praised God in the midst of the death of his children and that's an important distinction so but giving thanks is something that we just got to keep doing for some of us it's easy, for some of us we've got to work at it but it is a natural thing that comes when we're maturing when we're being filled with the fullness of God when we're growing in understanding about what he's done for us and the last thing to note on that one is simply that we're going to give thanks to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ remember when we pray we pray to the Father we pray to the Father we have access to him because of Jesus now in the name of Jesus Christ is not abracadabra okay really good I mean some people think it is you know it's not like um, Father I pray for this two days later I pray for this Father Five days later, I pray for the oh, just the Lord's not giving me what I want. Oh, I forgot the name of Jesus. Father, I ask for it in the name of Jesus. And then the next day you have it. Ah, oh, there you go. It's like abracadabra, you know, you got to say the magic words. Nonsense. In the name of, is in the context of that culture, meant the character of. What he's saying here is we have the right to go before the Father, the God who created the heavens and the earth, we come before him, Father God, because the character of Jesus Christ was sufficient, that his sacrifice was accepted by God in our place that he was able to be punished for our sins, so that we, like a sinless person, though we're not, we are judicially viewed as sinless, so we can come before God the Father without our face burning up. You shall not see me or you will surely die. And yet we come before him. Why? Because of the name, the character, the person who is Jesus Christ and that's good news and that's good to remember because that's a good reason to give thanks as well and the fifth and final thing and this is where we will be for a while submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ so the fifth thing that we do that shows our spiritual maturity is we submit now that's going to vary It's going to vary. And that's why in the next verse, he says, wives to your own husbands. In the original Greek, almost certainly, the word submit, wives submit to your husbands is not there. What he's saying is, you've all got to submit to one another in the appropriate manner, and here's example number one, wives to husbands. And so, we will deal with that next time. In fact, we'll probably deal with it the time after next, because we're going to deal with the whole concept and the, the flow of that whole section next time, so we'll be with marriage for the next couple of weeks. But, what he's saying is that submission for all of us, men and women, married and single, di- you know, divorced, widowed, whatever, all of us, submission is part of our lives, and at the very least, If you run your own business and you don't answer to anybody at work and you're a husband and what have you you still have to submit to some degree to government and to authority whether you like it or not you still have to submit to God and his will and his ways and often not submitting to those we're supposed to submit to is really just saying we don't want to submit to God now I struggle with abusive authority I I have ever since I was at school, I was one of these kids at school that struggled with the, the bullying teachers as much as the bullying kids and I got a real sense of, you know, righteous justice in me from a very young age and so when I see bureaucracy and stuff in government and rules for the sake of rules, and I've got I've got this poetic, this kind of a righteous justice, and I've got this this um, hatred for legalism, and they combine, and I'm like ah! But sometimes you just got to submit, and I find it hard sometimes. But what we have to do is to submit to one another. Submit to whomever it is that we're supposed to submit to in, in, the, in the, the outworking that he's going to give us. But we need to do that for reverence for Christ. When, and this will become very clear when we deal in the next section. But submitting to other people we're supposed to submit to is an act of submitting to God. Not submitting and rebelling is an act of rebellion to God. It doesn't say what we think. You know what? You can hate the government. Right? But not doing what you're supposed to do is not saying anything about the government, it's saying what you feel about God. Because he put that government over you. And the one thing that this election cycle has done is is united most people to feel like they're not going to be happy whoever gets in. More than ever before. So we'll all, to some degree, kind of feel like, you know, there'll be a lot of people who will be thinking, well, I don't like this. Well, you know what? God appoints kings and rulers God appoints our leaders and so whether it's President Clinton or President Trump or some President Johnson or whoever else sneaks through I mean I don't know but God still has a degree of submission that needs to happen no matter how much you like or dislike them that's, that's the thing, you know, too much is said about elections from the pulpit, I keep out of politics. Nothing to do with me. But this is the stuff that needs to be said. You know, that whoever gets in, there's still submission that has to happen. And it does not mean that we love and respect that individual. It means we respect God who placed that individual over us. Something for us to get our heads around. Now I used to think, we need to finish up now, but I used to think that when Paul, Paul was building through chapter 1, 2 and 3 and he was talking about theology and what God has done for us and in us, right? and he comes to a crescendo at the end of chapter 3 with that wonderful prayer that we referenced briefly earlier then in chapter 4 he starts with his practice this is therefore is how you should walk, how you should live because of what God has done for you and he builds to this crescendo and years ago I used to think that the crescendo was the being filled with the fullness of God being filled by the Holy Spirit that that was the big build-up and I think possibly to some degree it is and then when he talks about submitting he goes on to family but I think that actually the crescendo is the passage on the family and I say that to end this week simply to say this to you if you are not married if you're never going to get married If you have no interest in marriage, marriage is important for you. Because what we'll see next time is that marriage communicates something. And so marriage becomes something that is relevant for every church member, whether married or not. And the crescendo of what Paul has been saying, all of his arguments about practice, is going to come to a pinnacle with marriage it is relevant to every single one of us and we will start our journey on that next time let's pray Father I thank you for your word and I pray that we as a people would walk wisely not unwisely I pray that we would be aware of the shortness of our lives they are but a breath and we'll be gone soon An eternity is a very long time the enemy is active and seeks to harm us and the world is evil and surrounds us may we live as we should and may we understanding you and your will and your ways may we be filled by Christ through means of his Holy Spirit who indwells us that all of the fullness of you all that you have the height the breadth the depth all that you have for us lord would be in our lives that we would glorify you in our walk and i pray that we would speak to one another appropriately that we would sing in our hearts melodies because of the love that we have for you and that we would give thanks for all that you've done and i do pray lord that we also would submit to you and obey you By living out our lives as we should, submitting to one another where appropriate, but above all else, bowing the knee before you. Lord, do your work in our hearts, we pray. Amen.